So we're going to be in the book of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament. We've been in this book now for a number of months. And the reason we're in this book is we want to join Mark and follow Jesus around and remember why he's worth following in the first place. We Christians, we need to be reminded it's worthwhile to follow Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a believer, you need to get to know this man and recognize it is worth following him. Let's watch. Let's see. Let's join. Before we do, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We don't merely need to learn. We need your presence here. I pray for me, Lord, despite my many limitations, Lord, I pray that you would give me the gift of self-forgetfulness. I pray that I would be able to faithfully preach your word. I pray that your word would resound in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be amongst us in power. And I pray that your word would go forth and get into us and bounce around in us and make a difference in our hearts and in our lives. We cannot do this. We cannot do this without your activity. And I pray that you would be active this morning amongst us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Archibald Brown, who was one of the success, <clears throat> one of the successors of Charles Spurgeon, said, Christianity is all centered around a person. Conversion is not a mere change of human, human opinion. It is the devotion of heart to a person. A converted man is not just a man who just changes his views concerning certain facts or theories or doctrines, but he is a man whose heart has become devoted to a living Christ. He is a man whose heart has become devoted to a living Christ. He is altogether lovely. It is he. Oh, may God take the impersonal pronoun out of our religion. All our religion, all your religion, is worth, if it's worth anything, will just be centered on a living, personal Jesus. Your doctrines will all come from Him. Your motives will all be found in Him. Your joys in Him. Your acceptance in Him. Your completeness in Him. Are you devoted to Him? That's the question we're going to ask ourselves this morning. Are you devoted? Are we devoted to Him? Because the reality is, is that our lives, the way we live our lives, the words we speak, the choices we make, they all broadcast something. All of our lives broadcast something to a watching world. We're devoted to something. We're broadcasting, here's what I'm devoted to. Here's who I'm devoted to. We should be devoted only to Jesus. We're called to enjoy a great many things. We should enjoy good food and good companions. We should enjoy good time with family, working hard, vacations, hobbies. All of those things are good. But we must not be devoted to them. We must be devoted only to Jesus. And we're going to see today that we're going to be eyewitnesses to, the, to different lives here in Mark chapter 14. We're going to be eyewitnesses to different kinds of broadcasts. One group and two people. They're each broadcasting something. They're each broadcasting about who or what they're devoted to. This is a story that's memorable. It's a story that is that has even a haunting level of devotion embedded in it. 
we're going to join Mark and witness again him take us to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to see this in three different parts. First, the first group is broadcasting something. The first group that's broadcasting is the religious leaders. The religious leaders, and that's in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and we'll take it in chunks. Verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that's Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now you see clearly, Mark tells us, he eavesdrops on the, on the chief priests and the scribes. What do they want to do? They want to detain and destroy Jesus. And all these plans are clandestine. They're shrouded behind a dark veil of secrecy. These leaders, they want Jesus out of the way. They're devoted not to Jesus, but they're devoted to themselves. They are being, they're devoted, they're selfish. Now, selfish people are rarely stupid, and these people, these people are not stupid. They knew that they could not risk detaining Jesus publicly. Now, remember we said last week that at Passover time, throngs of people would come to Jerusalem. The population that would normally be about 50,000 people became 250,000 and more thronging about at Passover. And so what the scribes and the, and the chief priests decided to do was wait till these crowds evaporate and then arrest Jesus. That would mean that they needed to wait till after Passover and after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was about a week. So they decided, you know what, we need to detain and we need to destroy this Jesus, but we're going to wait. There were other times in other, other years when the crowds would come together and the leaders would do something the people didn't like and there would be riots in the streets. And they didn't want that. They didn't want that. But the people were everywhere. And they knew had, that the religious leaders knew they had to be wary of these vast crowds. They knew they had to be careful and tread lightly. They could not detain and destroy this popular Galilean preacher they wanted to wait around a week. Now, their plans were going to change because they were going to meet somebody who's going to give them a way to detain and destroy Jesus. But they didn't know that yet. Now, one thing you should know here, it's not a few chief priests and scribes that gather together and make a plan. This, this group represents the governing Jewish authority. And this plan to detain and destroy Jesus was an official decree that carried the force of law. This is no rogue organization working off in the corner trying to kill Jesus. No, this is a a settled reflection of all the Jewish leaders that were in charge of the temple and religion in Jerusalem. Now remember... If you were here, you know why they want to detain and destroy Jesus. We saw this in Mark chapter 12. Jesus was in the temple teaching, and the scribes and the chief priests came wave after wave after wave to try to get him to trip up. And instead, Jesus waged a frontal assault against these chief priests and scribes. And he proclaimed that these chief priests and scribes were corrupt, 
And more than that, they corrupted the temple and they corrupted worship. Under their leadership, the Jewish center of worship had metastasized into a center of, tre- of treachery. They were thieves, Jesus said, hiding behind their religious disguises. He went so far as to tell people, you should not, you cannot, you must not trust these leaders. And so, if you're a chief priest and a scribe, that man had to go. He had to be detained. He had to be destroyed. Why? They weren't devoted to Jesus, clearly. What are they devoted to? They're devoted to themselves. They're selfish. What did they want? They wanted to maintain and hold sway over the people. They wanted to be revered. These chief priests, these scribes, they wanted to be revered. They wanted to be respected. They wanted to be admired. They wanted to be distinguished. They wanted to hold power and be feared. They did not want to be called to the carpet. They did not want accountability. They expected obedience. And so when Jesus comes and challenges them, they don't take it well. You can tell how seriously they take themselves because instead of thinking, huh, let's think about what he's saying, they say, let's kill him. And it's ironic because the chief priests and the scribes should have been the ones in all of Israel who would plan the coronation of the coming Messiah. Instead, they plan to detain and destroy him because they're devoted to themselves. What did they want from Jesus? They wanted Jesus to serve their interests. They had no inclination to serve his interests. He came and disrupted their world, and so he had to be gotten rid of. He had to be detained. He had to be destroyed. There was no room for Jesus messing up their world in their lives. They were devoted to themselves. They wanted Jesus to do for them what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to fit a certain mold. We can be the same way. We can want Jesus to fit a certain mold. We can have a set of expectations of Jesus and say, I've got plans for you. You need to do these plans. But Jesus doesn't fit around our hopes, nor does he fit around our dreams. He doesn't live to grant every wish. He reorients our hopes and our dreams. You can't have plans for Jesus. You have to submit for his plans for you. He's not someone you can use to get what you want. And if you don't want him, you just throw him to the side. He's not someone you can just merely add to what you're already doing in your life. He is someone meant to alter completely your life. And the scribes and the chief priests, they would have none of that. They would have none of that. They needed to get rid of him. They needed to kill him. They would have been devoted to Jesus if he'd have done what they wanted, but he wouldn't, so it's time for him to die. They broadcasted something. The chief priests, scribes, they broadcasted, we're devoted to ourselves. We're devoted to ourselves. That's what the religious leaders were devoted to. Now we meet an anonymous woman who's devoted to someone altogether different. We go from the religious leaders to the woman. In Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, follow along as I read. And while he, that's Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, 
a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And, he, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So the scene, 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 scene shifts from the secretive meeting amongst the chief priests and the scribes to a little hamlet outside of Jerusalem, two miles away in the place called Bethany. Jesus and his 12 disciples are having dinner at the home of a man named Simon. And since Simon was the most common name in that era, at that time, in Jerusalem, Mark tells us which Simon. Which Simon is it, Mark? It's Simon the leper. Now, we don't know why he has that nickname, but it's a good bet that Jesus healed him of leprosy. We know for sure that he would not be at this meal if he had leprosy right then. So it could be that his name is Simon the leper, a former leper who was healed by Jesus. Now, they're enjoying their meal. At the end of the meal, out of nowhere, comes an unidentified woman. She bursts into the room uninvited, and her actions rivets everyone's attention on her. What does she do? She anoints Jesus. Now, anoint is a very churchy word. What does that mean? It means to pour something over someone's head. Now, in that day, as a guest would come over, for a meal, it was typical for guests to be given a bit of oil for their head when they came over for dinner. It was, that, it was their way of getting dust out of their hair, covering up unwelcome odors because people didn't bathe as often as we do, and to get rid of bugs that might have come in on your hair, like lice and stuff. But she does something altogether different. She anoints Jesus, not with common olive oil that they would have used. She uses something called, Mark calls Pure nard. Pure nard. Now, the nard plant is where this ointment comes from, and it's grown in the distant land of India, Nepal, and the foot of the Himalayas. And so what she does is she takes this nard ointment and pours it on Jesus. Now, it's radically crazy expensive. She would have had this probably as a family heirloom, as future security, in case she needed to sell it and have food. And so what she's done is she's given, given her most priceless possession and poured it on the head of Jesus. Now the reason they scolded her is they thought it was a complete waste. There's not one person in the room, the twelve and others in the room. So these are Jesus' closest followers. There's not one in there who says, hey, listen, this is a good idea. They all think it's an extravagant and unnecessary waste of money. It's 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages for a day laborer. 
It's no small sum. So imagine, how would you respond if you saw somebody pouring perfume or ointment or oil over someone's head that cost twenty, thirty, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars That's what's happening here. They scold her. They're indignant. How could she do that? Then they scold her. I love Jesus' response. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them. for them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do good to the poor. It means Jesus is more important than everyone, even the poor. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus, she did this for Jesus. She was devoted to Jesus. She anointed him for burial. And that's a strange thing to say. Kings were anointed. Prophets were anointed. Kings were anointed before they were coronated. Jesus is a king just the same. But his coronation, prior to his coronation, he had to be destroyed. This woman may not have been, understood everything that Jesus was about or all that he was going to do, but she understood one thing. This man, he's worth any sacrifice. And whatever I do for him, that's not a waste. She showed her devotion to Jesus by devoting to him her most costly possession. Now, every, no one in the room aside from Jesus agreed with what she did. All in that room thought it was a waste. They thought it was, it was just a, a waste of resources. They thought she was pouring something down the drain. But everybody in that room knew she was devoted to Jesus. Her actions broadcast, I'm devoted to him. I'm with him. I'm for him. He's the one that I'm devoted to. That's what her actions communicated. Do yours. She was scolded and shunned because of her devotion to Jesus. Are you willing to be scolded in the same way? Are you willing to be scolded by people who don't understand by how you spend your money for Jesus? Are you willing to have people react indignantly toward you as, devotes, as you devote so much time serving Jesus in the same church for years? Are you willing to show your devotion to Jesus in how you spend your money or how you speak or how you live knowing that people may scold you or be indifferent about you? Can people say, I might not understand how he or she wastes her time, treasure, and resources like that, but I know who she's devoted to, Jesus. Jesus saw it too. He said, she did a beautiful thing. She did a beautiful thing. She didn't just say she was devoted, she showed it. She broadcasted, I love you. I'm devoted to you, Jesus. So, so far, we've seen two broadcasts. Religious leaders devoted to themselves. Anonymous woman, she's devoted to Jesus. One more broadcast. And that's with the traitor. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. The man we meet now is not devoted, is close to Jesus, but he's not devoted to him. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. 
and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, we don't know why. We don't know why. Mark doesn't tell us why Judas, Judas turned from Jesus. It could be. I can give you my suspicion. Jesus talks about burial. He talks about her preparing for his burial. And Judas, he's not wanting to sign up for some, sign up to follow some leader who's going to end up dead. Because people who follow dead leaders end up getting killed themselves. And Judas says, maybe he says, I'm out. Maybe it's another reason. But may it sober us. Judas was close to Jesus. He lived and worked and followed Jesus for three years. Judas had responded when Jesus said, follow me. He did. He came. Judas sat in the crowd as Christ preached in city, town after town after town. Judas had seen the signs and beheld the miracles. Judas was his friend. Judas had experienced his love. He was there when the storm, he calmed the storm with the word. He was there when, when he cast out legion, from, cast the demons out of that man. He was there when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He was there when he called Lazarus back from the dead. He was there and even went out to preach in the name of Jesus. He experienced Jesus' love. He was close to Jesus. But being close is no guarantee that you're devoted. Being close is no guarantee that you're devoted. Judas still looked for an opportunity to betray him. Now Judas, what he saw instead of being devoted to Jesus, he was devoted to Jesus as an asset. And he traded in that asset. Money. He said, I've got an asset. I can tell the chief priests and the scribe, scribes where Jesus is going to be, what he's going to do, and where they can get him. And so, I will sell him out. And he valued, at the end of the day, silver more than the Savior. What did his life broadcast? I value money more than I value Jesus. We don't know what he wanted from Jesus, not for sure, but we do know that Jesus didn't give him what he wanted. That's why he went away and and sold him out. Money gives the illusion of power and control, and I'm sure that's what Judas wanted. Maybe he thought following Jesus would have given him a cushy job in the kingdom. When he understood that Jesus was going to die, he had no time for that because it's not good business to follow someone destined for a cross. It was time to cash out, and that's just what he did. He was devoted, like the chief priests and the scribes, to himself. Even though he had been close to Jesus for years. Being close to Jesus is not the same thing as being devoted to Jesus. You can be close and yet not be devoted. Judas was close, closer than almost anyone, but yet he wasn't devoted. Ultimately, his life broadcast, I love myself more than him. 
This is especially dangerous for those of us who are used to being in church, used to singing, used to reading the Bible, used to praying. And we can think that because we do certain things, that means we're devoted to Jesus because we read our Bible, because we pray, because we serve, because we give, because we go to church, because we sing, because we, we do the extra thing. Because we meditate on Scripture and memorize Scripture. That means we're devoted. False. You can do all these things and yet be devoted to yourself. It could be that you do these things, that you read the Bible, pray, serve others, give, go to church, sing, go the extra mile so you can get Him to reward you. So you can get something from Jesus. Maybe you're secretly, silently ready to leave him because your marriage isn't what you thought it would be or because your health is declining or because you don't have extra money or because your husband is thoughtless and your wife is distant. Maybe you're just still afraid and you don't like it. Maybe you just thought life would be easier. You just walk away. And Jesus doesn't seem to be making anything better. You do all this stuff, but it doesn't make a difference. And you're tempted to cash out. Is that you? Is that you? Jesus doesn't promise. He doesn't promise a lot of the things that we want. He promises himself. You can be devoted to yourself, and yet look like you follow Jesus. Is that you? We've met leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. Their life broadcast, we love ourselves. We've met a man who wanted things from Jesus and decided to betray Jesus, and his life broadcast, I love myself. And there's a woman we met as well, devoted to Jesus, and her life broadcast, I love Jesus. Now, at the beginning of the story, we talked about a memorable, even haunting devotion that we ought to take away from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Am I talking about the devotion of the woman? Look again at verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Her devotion is wonderful and worthy of repeating and celebrating and memorializing. And here we are almost 2,000 years later in a different country, speaking a different language, saying, wow, look at the devotion she has. That's memorable. But that's not the haunting story of devotion that I'm talking about. Her story is great, but it cannot change us. It can challenge us. It can get us to ask questions. It can ask us to measure our devotion. But there's another story of devotion here that we need to consider. There's another story of devotion embedded in these verses that we need to make sure gets our attention and we give our attention to. Look again at what Jesus says. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed. This is the one time in Mark we we hear the word gospel coming out of the mouth of Jesus directly. What is the gospel? The gospel is that greatest story of devotion the world has ever known. The gospel is the story of devotion. This is the story that we must see and understand in this story. This is a story of devotion. 
How is the gospel a story of devotion? And whenever we ask questions like that, we always look at Jesus. As tempting as it is to look at the woman and say, let me do things like that, first, before we get there, we need to look at Jesus and say, what has he done? Who is Jesus devoted to? His Father, by the power of the Spirit, absolutely. Who else? Who else was Jesus devoted to? What is the gospel, the message of? Perfect God becoming man to make a way for sinful men and women to be saved. Who is Jesus devoted to in this picture throughout the whole book of Mark? Sinful men and women like you and me. That's who he's devoted to. That's the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is devoted to us. See, this woman broke a flask of nard over his head, but Jesus was broken for us. There were some who scoffed at her devotion and said, what a waste. There would be some who would scoff at the idea of a crucified Savior. How can a king die? That ointment was valuable, but our Savior is invaluable. Look at this man, Jesus, and try to measure his devotion for you. You can't do it. He's devoted to you with an eternal kind of devotion. He loves you. He's not merely saying that he's devoted to us. He doesn't merely write notes proclaiming his love. He doesn't paint pictures in the sky announcing his love. He doesn't pour ointment over our heads. What does he do? He dies in our place. How could someone have that kind of devotion? There is no reason. We do not deserve that kind of devotion. But what we find in Jesus Christ is boundless love for people who do not deserve it. That's why this story is memorable, even haunting, because we see Jesus Christ, the perfect one, who ought to have been, who ought to have had people lining up to devote themselves to do whatever he wanted them to do. And instead, he comes to live a perfect life, die a substitutionary death, so men and women who are, fa- who are flawed and sinful and profane like us can come to him and recognize he is devoted to us, not because we deserve it, but because that is who he is. The gospel is the story of the all-surpassing love of Jesus for sinners. There is absolutely no reason Jesus deserved to be murdered in the place of sinners. His his life broadcast devotion to God the Father. He always obeyed. He always obeyed the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He always obeyed loved his neighbor as himself. No one has loved like this man. This is the one who clothed himself with light, put that off and put on the flesh of mankind. This is the one to whom the heavenly host sang and bowed. He departed to have the earthly host spit and mock. This is the one that called galaxies into being and departed to call mankind to be a man and call mankind to himself. This is the one who had power over all things and gave all of that up for the power gave up all that power for the good of mankind. This is the one who surpassed all beauty and departed to, be, to bear the scorn of God's surpassing, the scorn of God surpassing all others. Why? Because he loves us. He's devoted to us. Do we deserve that? No. But that's the gospel. Isn't it amazing and wonderful 
that Jesus calls us by love. He doesn't call us by frightening us. He doesn't call us by saying, hey, I'm here to be your friend. Let me give you some advice. He doesn't call us by threatening and saying, listen, if you don't follow me, I'm going to send you to hell. What does he do? He says, I love you. And any who come to me, I will love and be devoted to for all time. I don't think we Christians, those of us in this room who follow Jesus, we don't think about the boundless love of Christ and his devotion to us enough. We can be more aware of remaining sin. It's there, it's real. We can be more aware of our troubles. They're there, they're real. But we can't afford to be oblivious to this unbounded love. His life broadcasts perfection and love for people who don't deserve it. The gospel is a story of unbridled devotion for people that don't deserve it. Jesus knew love for all eternity. He knew what it, was love, what it was to be loved by his Father. For all eternity, he experienced love from God. And he left so that we might experience that kind of love from God ourselves. And that kind of love comes to us because Jesus was devoted to, ser- to, to live and die and rise again for us so that, we might not, so that we might not miss out on that kind of love. His measure of devotion is seen in what he did for us in dying. You might say, I don't deserve that kind of love. If Jesus were here, he'd say, exactly. Now you're starting to get it. Thomas Watson says, consider for whom Jesus came. Was it to his friends? No, he came for sinful man who had defaced his image and abused his love and rebelled against him. Yet he came to man resolving to conquer our obstinacy, which is stubbornness, with his kindness. He conquered our stubbornness with his love. And when you see and understand and begin to grapple with the fact that Jesus loves you and is devoted to you as a Christian, being devoted to him is no choice. See, he doesn't stand there and say, listen, if you prove yourself worthy of me, I will be devoted to you. What he says is instead, I know you're not worthy of me. I know you fall short. I know you aren't what you should be. I know that you sin. I know that you sin in private. I know that you sin in public. I know you sin with your mouth. I know you sin with your mind. But do you know me? Our sin is no barrier to his love. And when you see that, when you recognize that there is nothing that can separate us from his love, nothing, nothing you can imagine, nothing from the past, nothing today, nothing in the future, nothing that we could ever conjure up can separate us from the love of Christ. Do you see how it's easier then to be devoted to him? Do you see that it just makes sense? It makes sense. So, your life, it broadcasts something. What does it broadcast?
before you answer that, before you answer that, what is Jesus' life broadcast? Hope for sinners. Friend of the outcast. Love for the unlovely. Richard Sibb says, Oh, what love! Christ would not entrust our redemption to angels, to millions of angels, but he would come himself and in person suffer. He would not give a low and a base price for us clay. He would buy us with a great ransom so as he might overbuy us or pay too much. And none could overbid him in the market for souls. If there had been millions of more believers and many heavens without any new bargain, his blood should have bought them all. And all these many heavens should have smelled one rose of life. Christ should have been one and the same tree of life in all, in them all. Oh, we underbid, we and undervalue that Prince of Love who did overvalue us. We will not sell all that we have to buy him. He sold all he had and himself too to buy us. It's easy to be devoted to someone who sold all he had, even himself, to buy us. May we be devoted to him. The key to recognizing your dev- how you can grow in being devoted to him is see how much he's devoted you. If you're a Christian, see, look, measure. Look at places like Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And look at what Paul says about the love of Christ. Think about the steadfast love of God for his people. If you're not a Christian, you can get in on this too. You can come in and say, I'm a louse made mistakes. I've, my marriage is a wreck. I need help at all kinds of different levels. And Jesus says, perfect. Any who come to me, I will be devoted to them. Not because they deserve it, but because that is who I am. Jesus doesn't promise that we'll have the marriage of our dreams. He doesn't promise that we'll have robust physical health. He doesn't promise that we'll have extra money. He doesn't promise that we'll, be, we'll have thoughtful husbands and wives. He doesn't promise that we'll have an easy life. He doesn't promise that we'll live without disappointments. He promises himself. Recently, I read a heart-rending account of a man who was a pastor and served in various positions for years, and he walked away from Jesus. He said, in part, in 40 years, I never witnessed a single event that was supernatural. Not one. Time and again, I watched people die of cancer. I did funerals for 47 people from the age of 4 to 96. I prayed in faith with hundreds of people for healing to no avail. God didn't answer my prayers. My devoutly Christian parents were abusive. My marriage was a sham. Prayer was never answered. Miracles were never performed. People died. Children rebelled, marriages failed, addictions occurred, all at the same rate as non-believers. The system just doesn't work. I 
pastored mega churches and tiny churches. I did college ministry, camp ministry, youth ministry, music ministry, preaching ministry, church planting, everything in church except work in the nursery. And what I saw was people desperate for the system to work for them. If I were to be able to talk, I could hear the angst in this gentleman. If I could talk to this gentleman face-to-face as gently as possible, I would say, look at the miracle of the love of God in Christ for sinners. That's the miracle open for all of us. He doesn't promise healing. He doesn't promise that children won't die. He doesn't promise that they won't rebel. He doesn't promise supernatural experiences. He does promise love. Love today, love tomorrow, love forever. He does promise that he will be devoted to anyone who comes to him and says, will you save me? He promises forgiveness to the sinful and the unworthy. He promises hope to the outcast. He promises love today, tomorrow, forever. He promises love forever. He promises devotion. He promises to do all good for you. He promises to give righteousness to the profane. He promises to give life and hope and future. His devotion for us will neither flag nor will it fail. It won't always make sense. But He will always be devoted to us. What is His life broadcast? Love. Love for you. What is your life broadcast? Love for Him? If not, look and see the love this Savior has. Don't look at the woman and say, I wish I could be more like her. Look at the Savior and say, praise God you're devoted to me. Then you can ask, how can I be devoted to him? May we ask. Let's pray. Jesus, it boggles our minds and defies our expectations to say, you love us. You're devoted to us. It almost sounds a little bit heretical to talk about love like this, but you, Jesus, have set your affection upon Christians. You've set your affection on all those who come to you and you will not remove it. So I pray for any in this room who are struggling. Lord, they're struggling because they have expectations for you about their marriage or maybe they want you to do this or that or maybe they're just trying to add you to their already busy life. Lord, I pray that they would instead push those ideas away and recognize that there's a Jesus, there's a, there's a God, God the Son is devoted to people who come to him and say, forgive me can't do it. I need help. I'm not going to be able to obey well enough. I pray that if there are any in this room who maybe are recognizing they've been laboring under false expectations, they've been close to Jesus, but yet they're really far, I pray that you would help them to come to you. I pray that that love that's proclaimed I pray that that love would be their experience and I pray that they would know that love. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come in power. 
and melt our hearts. Lord, I pray for Christians here. Lord, we think too little on your love. I do. Thank you. Thank you. May we be taken with your love. May we be awed by your devotion to your Father and to us. And may we live lives that broadcast, I'm devoted to him. I'm devoted to him. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.